Hello, Julian. Hello, Mike. How are you doing today? I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm always fine when I see you, Mike. And you're looking well, too. Thank you very much indeed. Well, let's get on with recording the next episode of Veterinary Ramblings. Let's go for it. You had a tough day today? Uh, it's, it's another tough. They're all tough days, aren't they? They're all they tough are days. at the moment. Battle through this, this working field of life, but uh, it's a fun day. I, I, I sometimes I can't work out whether I'm on a Sunday, a Monday or a Friday. I think it's a Wednesday. Okay. So you having problems there? Uh, it's a good day. I finished off my shirt. Look, there we go. That's very nice too. I, I I would have complimented you on it, but I didn't want to appear sexist. <laughs> did you? Did you make it, that yourself? <laughs> I made it myself. It, it's, made it's, that yourself, mate. Did you, did you? Did you? Did you make your shirt yourself? I made it myself. I mean, it's it's camouflage. I love uh, the I love the the greens and the blues and the swirls all all around it. That's, yeah. that's a, is it a scrub shirt? Uh, it's it's that basic design because I, I I've never made anything like this before. So I I had a scrub shirt that I knew fitted fairly right. well, okay. uh, and it was only made out of four pieces of material, five pieces of material. So yep. I, I traced around it All right. with uh, the baking sheet, yep, and uh, cut that out, and then put it onto the material and cut around that, and then uh, then sewed it all together. So are we going to have a sewing lesson tonight then? Uh, no. I have to put the sewing machine away. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hope. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. What, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do on the show then, Julian? Well, I, I thought, I thought tonight we could have a chat to probably one of the most interesting veterinary nurses there is in the world. All right. I say that because we've spoken to a lot of veterinary nurses on, on this forum. Mm-hmm. And they're all amazing. All veterinary nurses are absolutely incredible. This one is is interesting in that she's done pretty much everything, mm-hmm. sometimes twice. Uh, she graduated initially with a degree in pharmacology in 2002. Then she qualified as a veterinary nurse in 2005. Right. Uh, she did uh, 10 years or so of, of locuming as a vet nurse working in uh, emergency clinics, uh, referral practices, exotic centres, uh, and spending time on the BVNA Council. That's and British Veterinary Nurse Association. That's it, yeah. yeah. Right, so, okay. yeah. And that's how I met her, in fact, because we were involved in uh, organising the uh, British Veterinary Nurses Association Congress. Every year. I'll ask her about that. Yeah. And, and now, guess what she does? Go on. She rips organs out of living people. She does. Should I say she is the coordinator for the organ transplant? Wow. Uh, Absolutely incredible. She's written numerous textbooks. She's involved in writing another one for the SAVA at the moment, which uh, I'm writing with her. So uh, I'm really, really excited to have Helen Ballantyne on with us tonight. Wow. Okay. Well, actually, it looks as if she's here. So shall we get? Shall we get her in? Let's get her in. Okay, that sounds fantastic. Hello. Uh-huh. Hello. 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 You're, you're Hello. measuring a cat. And Lionel. Introduce you to Lionel. Oh, Lionel. Uh, hello, Lionel. And how, how tall is Lionel? <laughs> We're just playing today, not measuring. <laughs> well, I don't know whether it was a sort of odd thing you did about this time every night. You're, right, time, time to measure the cat. Here we go. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Oh, We're all at it. New market. Everyone's out measuring their cats. <laughs> I've got my dog down here, but I, I haven't got a ruler. <laughs> is that uh, is that a pun? Because dogs always are the ruler, aren't they? Well, they, well, no. Cats are the rulers, aren't they? They haven't, they haven't no. forgotten what times are like in Egypt. They know, don't they? They know damn well. They they are deities, aren't they? I um, had to use a tape measure because otherwise it becomes bits of us. You know, he sort of starts to jump and, and needs to chase things, and it, it becomes our fingers and nose, hair. So, so you're currently working in the NHS, are you, Helen? Mm, yeah, that's the that is the job, really. Um, I don't do, I haven't done any clinical veterinary nursing for for several years. Right. Um, but I I can't seem to shake it off. 
it's in you know it's in me so i keep my registration up i do my cpd um and do some lecturing and writing and that kind of stuff so what's right. what's that book you're holding up veterinary nursing care plans theory and practice by helen ballantyne by me absolutely and this is absolutely the tome for veterinary nursing care plans uh, it not only talks about veterinary nursing care plans, it also talks about uh, levels of competency and um, uh, conscious and unconscious thought, reflection, etc. Doesn't it? Mm, yeah. It's an amazing book, a very, very all-encompassing book. And if you haven't got it, then I would go out and buy it, whether you're Absolutely. a vet nurse or not. <laughs> Are we going to have a tough time tonight with the CPD section? Well, Helen has kind of promise rather spontaneously aka foolishly to, to be our guinea pig for tonight because we've just introduced in veterinary ramblings a new section called 60 second cpd and uh helen i, I think i'm right in saying that you you kind of if not jumped at the chance didn't crawl away from it too fast and said that you might be able to do a 60-second CPD for us tonight. Mm, absolutely. You fancy that, Helen? Yeah, I've, I've got I've got about 130 slides, so I thought probably I could, yeah. I could fit them. That would do, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's fine. I'm just talking yeah. up. Oh, hang, hang on a minute. Yeah, I, I, I think I need a recall here. Hang on. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it always the way you ask someone to speak for 40 minutes and they speak for three hours and you're just like, stop, <laughs> Yeah, I was doing. Uh, I was doing a talk for a local um, uh, local group a couple of months back on on uh, on Zoom under lockdown. Uh, I was doing a, a talk on mushroom hunting to uh, to a retired uh, professionals group, and about forty minutes into it, I, they, they typically talk for about about an hour. Yeah, about forty minutes into it, someone cut in and said, "Yeah." I think you should finish now. Uh, most of us uh, are very tired. <laughs> oh, 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 all right. Um, right. Uh, anyone else want me to finish? Oh, yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't mind carrying on. I'd like to finish. All right. Um, uh, well, did you have a vote? No, I finished. I said, look, if anyone wants to stay on, uh, then, then they can do. And in fact, five people stayed on, which was great. Oh. Do you have a do you have a clean client rule? So this was something this was something I discovered in the NHS. Mm. So you you know clients or we, patients we call them patients. Oh, don't we? Yeah, um, or if I'm getting muddled, sometimes I call them owners, which confuses people. But anyway, we, we sort of we don't do that quite so often now. So that's I, good. I've got I've got an owner. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I use that expression regularly, but I, I understand <laughs> because most most people go. Oh. <laughs> That's what happens to me when I say, oh, I'll, I'll go and get the owners. This. <laughs> but, but we you mean this... relatives. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> there's, there's this expression where, you know, if you walk into the staff room in, a, in an NHS hospital and there's lots of goodies on the table, there'll be somebody to, to tip you off as to whether they're sort of from people you think are clean or yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I always have this rule. and, and the, the nurses... This is pre-COVID. No, we're not, we're not worried about sort of... No, Absolutely. No. I always have this rule. If someone brings in a cake, I say to the receptionists, please, for heaven's sake, examine their fingernails. <laughs> you know, and if, if, if they say, if I say, did you examine the fingernails? And they say, no, the cake goes in the bin. Sorry. Hang on. No. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've met some of your nursing team and a lovely nursing team you've got as well. Yes. I've been told that the rule at your practice is, is that... Because of safety, nobody's allowed to eat the cake until you've had a slice. <laughs> oh, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. <laughs> well, that, that, that may be a rule, yes. Sir. <laughs> you do, you're, you're doing them a favour, are you? I like to think so. That's the way you try Sometimes it. it takes four or five slices to be absolutely certain. Just mm. checking. Just checking it's not riddled with uh, all sorts of... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's great. And, and the, the other six of you can share this one slice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a big slice, though, look. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 Helen, um, could you do this 60-second CPD for us? Are we going to do this? 
Would you do it? Well, right now? Yeah. If I could just clarify, the 60 seconds doesn't include question time. So, no, so if you set aside five seconds for question time, don't worry about that. Yeah, we, we, we did this in rehearsals, and, and I got to 58 seconds and ran out. <laughs> and I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to ask for questions. I see. So that's why. Right. I see. Fair enough. That's the button. Okay. So, so Helen Ballantyne, let's have a 60-second CPD starting on three... Two, one, go. So, as I've written a book about nursing care plans, it seems only sensible that my 60-second CPD is all about nursing care plans. Except nursing care plans are really a little bit too technical to sit into 60 seconds, which is now 45 seconds. So what I'm going to say is, I'm going to say, nurses, use nursing care plans, fill them in, think about them, write them down, talk about them, all that sort of thing. Most importantly, never take them for granted. Don't ever take anybody else's nursing care plan. Do your own. Get your baseline of your patient. Look at your patient. So either do your end of bed test if they're too scary to get them out of the cabin and look at them properly, or do their OBS to make sure you know what their baseline is, because that's what nurses are really good at. They're really good at noticing the details, acting on them, and making patients all better. And it's all about detail. Wow! Thank you. Thank you very much, Helen. That's fantastic. Nursing One second to go. That's brilliant. Wow. Brilliant. So, oh, we should do that. We should do that. All, all congresses should now be 67. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't <laughs> shut the timer off. Wow, excellent. You, you covered something that's really close to my heart there, Helen. And winds me through the roof I, uh, you and I haven't met and so you, you probably don't know that I've got a particular interest in anaesthesia okay. and um, what, one of the things that I, I, I find most frustrating is that you get your patient on the table on the operating table and I'll say to the, the nurse that's doing the anaesthetic not a small task by any manner of means mm. but an important role and I'll say to her, so what was normal for this dog or cat or whatever? And they go, mm. so, so, so what's the baseline? Where were we before yeah. we induced anaesthesia? What, what is normal for this animal so that we can mm. try and keep a plane of anaesthesia and, and keep the physiology normal or as normal as possible? And uh, so many times I hear, I, I don't know. Yeah. And so they refer to the, something like the BSAVA manual, and, and you'll find that normal respiration for a Labrador is between 12 and 20 breaths per minute. Great! Well, this one's breathing at 12. Oh, so that's normal. Well, no, because it was 20 when it came in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they, they then sort of wonder why the capnograph is, is showing us such high readings. Mm. Well, perhaps it's because we've cut its respiration rate in half. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, thing, things like this, I mean, obviously, it, it's easier. You work in human medicine a lot now, don't you? Is that that's your mm. main role? That's the main role now, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. From a clinical point of view, definitely. Okay, so, so I mean, it, it's relatively easy to, to measure Mrs. Jones's blood pressure, temperature, respiration rate, etc., and get those baseline odds which, of course, is what our anaesthetists in the human field do. Um, it's a little bit more difficult, necessarily, to get Mrs. Jones's Labrador's blood pressure. So maybe we've got to take that one as, as, as red. Yeah, absolutely. But equally, funnily enough, we were having this, this conversation today about... So I do a lot of blood pressure measurements because my half of my, my day job is I work with um, patients who have donated a kidney. So I, I walk them through the process of donating a kidney either... Um, to someone they know or, or potentially altruistically. And if you have donated a kidney, you do actually have a very small um, a, a small sort of increase in, in getting hypertension later on down the years. And so we do quite a lot of blood pressure monitoring. But, you know, we now, much like in, in sort of the veterinary world, when I'm sort of in it, we're starting to talk about white coat syndrome in animals and all that sort of stuff, will not 
start any medication for hypertension until we've got at-home readings. And I, I, you know, I do these blood pressure measurements in the hospital and I just think it's a complete waste of my time because we're not going to act on them until they've gone home with a blood pressure monitor and demonstrated that when they're at home in their environment, they have still got hypertension. Um, so it's, you know, the, the same sort of issues apply, really. That baseline is just corrupted when you're in hospital. Absolutely. You, uh, quick, quick question for you on that, Helen. Do you use a manual or automatic technique on the humans? Uh, it depends what's sitting there in the room. Today it was a manual one. Right. Yeah, it was a manual one. Yeah. But not, it's interesting one because I had a, it depends on where you were taught. I had a, um, a matron actually who, when I was on one of my placements, refused to let any students use an automatic blood pressure machine. And we were, we didn't like it very much, you know, because of that. But because um, it, it's very time consuming compared to just... Um, but it's, it's, you know, I'm glad now all these things you're glad after that. What I find particularly interesting with that, Helen, is that um, in human medicine, I think if I, if I go back through my own career um, and, and in a different life, I used to teach paramedics. Now, for our veterinary listeners, you won't recognise these, these particular qualifications. Um, I'm ATLS, Advanced Trauma Life Support, and ACLS, Advanced Cardiac Life Support, qualified. Wow. Um, I said, wow. <laughs> Not really, well. Helen. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's why when I take up squash again, I want to play Mike because I'm likely to have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. My last patient didn't make it. <laughs> that's, that's another story. Do, um, do you manage to keep that up, that qualification? That's quite a qualification to do when you're not in practice. No, it's it's gone, and and um, truth be told, it was um, it was done as an NHS TD, so it was an NHS qualification, or they were NHS qualifications. But because I never have been employed by the NHS TD in the rules and regulations, according to I don't know whether that's changed at all over over the decades, um, that qualification can be kept up but I cannot be certified because I cannot get private insurance to work on humans outside of the NHS. Um, so to a certain extent, it was, it was a personal interest and it fitted, it fitted with me training paramedics because I was out riding on blue light calls with paramedics in real situations. And at that point... I love the blue lights. I love riding on the blue lights. Do you? Do you like that? What do you yeah, like about that? That's my, that's my next, well, not my next, but one day I'd love to train to drive the blue lights. Yeah. So when, well, when driving, the, driving the blue lights, yes, very much. And, and as, a, as a, oh gosh, this is, this is a mic. Um, <laughs> it's a mic show. Institutes of Advanced Motorist Instructor. Um. I'd love to do that. I'd love to drive the blue lights. So I used to, one of my, one of my jobs, one of the parts of my jobs in transplant was that we used to be, I used to be part of the team that would go and get the organs, so go and get heart and lungs. Now that's, also, time, that's time critical, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely time. So you've got, for a heart, you've got four hours from, from you know, um, taking it from the donor um, to, to putting it into to the recipient. And so it was blue lights and, and, and one of the drivers who we used to go with, I would sit up front and he would tell me all about sort of what he was doing and that sort of stuff. And I loved it. It was fabulous. Really interesting. And then one of the other drivers, I would sit in the back with my cousins, terrified. <laughs> my, my policeman buddy said, you know, if you're driving on a motorway, there's no reason you should ever need the brakes. No. And, um, and I, I tried it once. I, I went on the M25, drove for three hours, didn't use the brakes once. Yeah, that's probably because <laughs> you didn't move. I was, doing, I was doing 10 miles an hour. People beeping me. It was horrific. I got you know, goose. It was awful. So, so your regional coordinator now for the. Uh, um, so yeah, tra transplant coordinator. So um, yeah, so um, <laughs> it's sort of what it does, what it says in the tin, really. So I coordinate transplants. So um, on a on an on call shift, it, the offers of so anybody who has been unfortunate enough to pass away in a situation where they're able to, their family or they are able to donate their organs, 
the organs, the information about the organs are then sent and the donor are sent to, to me. Um, uh, and then they, we then sort of, I then speak to the relevant surgeon and we, we sort of triage and have a think about whether they'd be suitable for any of our recipients. And then um, if they are, then there's a bit of a logistics game. So timings for, for theatre, getting staff and, and getting the potential recipient in from wherever they live and um, matching blood transfusions, waking up lots of staff to get the job done, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Wow. So the, is, is, the, is blood typing your first arbiter on that one? Do you, um, do you have a list of, of potential recipients? So if you if you've got an o, o negative, for example, you know that that organ is going to be applicable to a number of potential patients yep. to receive. Yeah. yeah. So so absolutely right. Yeah. But so I think what we would always try and do is 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 generally blood group match. Right. Um, and and that's because there's well there's, there's there's reasons obviously with sort of antibodies and stuff, but even with the O's and. Um, and also, actually, I didn't didn't realise, but but if with the O um, with the O groups, they can actually be, despite the fact that you know it's it's it's, um, it's you know universal as it were, that people yeah. with an O group can be disadvantaged because the O's can go to anybody. Yeah. Um, they're sharing their sort of pool, if it were. Um, so there negative. would be mm, there would be a, a, a match. Negative the universal donor. Well. To be honest with you, we don't. We, I don't seem to be worried too much about positives and negatives. Actually, we don't seem okay. to. I, you know, we sort of say it, but I don't. Nobody seems to worry too much about it. Okay. Um, I am still learning, but no, nobody seems to worry too much about that. Okay. Um, but yes, but also just as important would be we do some. You know, depending on 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 um, the organ and depending on the recipient, we'll do some age matching. Um, right. So, so probably one of the most important things with with donor organs is the age of them um right, okay so you would try quite hard not to put a 75 year old liver into you know somebody who's who's much younger or 80 year old kidneys into a 25 year old that kind of thing so you, you do that me hoping that my donor card would be useful and i'd end up in some yeah absolutely and re relive my teenage years but obviously <laughs> that's not going to be the case is it unfortunately not no um, and then a bit of size liver? Bit of size matching as well. What what were you suggesting about my liver there, Helen? <laughs> I'm sure it's beautiful liver. I'm sure it's a lovely liver. It, it, well oh, preserved. Oh. I've I've been doing my best. I mean cobblestone. The whiskey that Graham Eckford gave us, which was decidedly formaldehyde. It was um, ether. Is, it, is that did he send that in the post? Yeah. You? Yeah. Little, I saw that yeah. little little it's, testing piece. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So so um I have to say the post's been a bit remiss. I haven't received your gift today. Oh. I, I got it. Oh, right. Did you not get yours? No. Th thanks, Helen. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the, and the, the Fortnum hamper, I have to say, was just... Oh. <laughs> Honestly. What? That, that, oh, what? that ham to die for. Oh, I love one of those one day. I don't even know what a Fortnum hamper is. <laughs> it, it's too expensive for the likes of us, Mike. That's what it is. Uh, that's for sure, isn't it? <laughs> do they do they still do they still do MHC testing? Um, you know, the major histocompatibility complexes, or as anti-rejection drugs have become more sophisticated, they're less of an onus mm. on on complete matching. They just look for a, a vague match. And worry more about age and size. So it's, it, it's interesting. So um, it depends on the organ, right? Mm -hmm. So so kidneys we match closely, and we match kidneys very closely because the problem with with not matching closely is that you can manage things with with drugs, but then you know kidneys don't. Transplant kidneys don't last forever. So if you've got a 30-year-old who, who, who needs a kidney transplant and, and you put a, a sort of miss... So, for example, in the living, living kidney donor world, and you've got, you've got um, you know, their, their sister wants to give them a kidney and they're, they're, they sort of match, it'll probably be okay, we'll manage it with some medication, but it's not ideal. If that kidney then perhaps only lasts, well, 
you know, could last sort of 15, 20, you know, 25 years. But it still means that probably by 50, he's going to need a new kidney. And if he's had, you know, that time with a kidney that wasn't great and wasn't mismatched, then he's going to be much harder to retransplant. And right. actually right. with kidneys, it's quite common to retransplant. And so the better match you can get, particularly for the first transplant, the better. Um, and then interestingly with livers, it's, it's, it's blood group. Um, and we, we don't sort of run the, the matching, um, which baffled, baffled me. Um, just yeah, a group and size. Uh, Helen, you 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 touched really very uh, very compassionately on the fact that 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 in order for transplant to occur, pe- people have to have passed away, people have to have donated. Mm. Uh, mm. It, and and you mentioned altruism. Uh, yeah, in the case of people giving their organs to, to someone who's not a relative. In fact, the algorithms they use to decide what organ goes where often means that. The choice is out of the donor's hands, uh, to some extent. So yes, absolutely. So so with the deceased donor, there's no, um, it, yeah. I mean, it's not complete without. It's not without the realms of possibility. But so so actually, funny enough, it's a question I get asked. So with people who are setting up a living kidney <clears throat> donation. It's quite an arduous process. They have to do lots of tests and that kind of thing. And, and it's not unusual for them to say to me halfway through the process, if I die tomorrow and my organs can be donated, then he have them. Mm. And actually, that's not something that happens. So, so you're absolutely right. The, the, it, it, the language is difficult because it's hard to describe, but essentially the organs go into a, into a pool and, and our, a logarithm is applied so that the best possible match comes from, from using this incredible resource. So the donor and the donor family don't get any say in, in where a deceased you know, organ would go. And um, that would be yeah, matched to try and make sure that it's, it's used. And, and I've, I've looked at the math involved in trying to sort out which organ goes where, and it's hugely complicated, isn't it? Yeah. Computers, yeah. There'd be no way of working out. Yeah. Where. And, and, it, and it changes, I think. It's changed sort of since I've been in, in transplant, which is um, nearly seven, eight years now. So um, I think, it, it, you know, it starts off, and I find it very, very complex to kind of figure out. There's, there's orders, so there's a, there's a um, it, you know, the first kind of offering sequence depends on geography because time is, is of the essence. You know, you right. get these organs done, particularly the kidneys, the kidneys are very robust, you know, they allow kind of up to 24 hours for, for kidneys, which having come from heart and lungs, where the timings are much shorter, that blew my mind completely. Um, it's not unusual for, for, for kidney transplants to, to, you know, almost do one or two after the other and one of them to be waiting, you know. Um, and um, so geography is important because you want to get them close. There's no point offering, you know, a, a, you know, a liver up in, I don't know, in the nest down to, you know, dry grapes or what have you. Um, um, so, is John O'Groats in the south? I have got that right, haven't I? Uh, John O'Groats is in the north. It's in the yeah, north. Yeah, I've done that wrong. I've done that wrong. Scotland's a cool one. John O'Groats would probably still take you four hours because the road's <laughs> a single track. I, I, I rode those. I've ridden that, that route on my so, bicycle. So but, yeah. We, yeah, absolutely. Very um, so, yeah, geography probably is one of the first things. And then, yeah, like you say, there's a logarithm and, and a sequence that goes from there. So are you are you good at geography, Helen? <laughs> I'm getting better. I'm, I'm getting sorry. Better. <laughs> we found something you're not good at. Fantastic. Excellent. <laughs> the pharmacology, the veterinary nursing, the human nursing, transformative the care plans, everything else aces. Geography. <laughs> so so one of the, so one of the first arbiters then, I mean you you're obviously looking for um, for preferential surgical outcomes. That's the, that's the, the key priority. So one of your first priorities is, is literally physical distance. It's geography between where the donor is and where the recipient is. It's, it's one of them. One of them, right. I wouldn't, yeah, there's nothing. It, it's always, and I think that's the beauty of this job, and it's the beauty of, I mean, it's the beauty of healthcare, isn't it, generally? It, there's never a black and white answer. Right. Because, you know, if you've got somebody who's very sick, if you've got somebody who... You know, if we don't get a liver, when I say we, I don't really do much with the livers, but if my colleagues don't get a liver in them in 24 hours, they're going to die. 
we'll take one from Inverness and fly it down. Oh, right. You know? um, so it's, it's, you know, there's no, when I first started training, I would go to my line manager and say, right, tell me the, the ideal liver. This is, I want to know what, what, what do they want? You know, if I get an offer comes through and it's got X, Y, and Z on it, is that what they want? And there just isn't an answer because they could be in Glasgow and we're in, 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 you know, we're down here in the South and, and actually for a patient that is, like I say, about to pass away, we'll take a gamble. It could be a donor that, you know, maybe isn't ideal. They've got some complications. They're, you know, sort of very, able, if we're talking about liver as a you know, overweight or there's a, a long alcohol history. But actually, again, if the functionality is right, um, then the organs, <laughs> the organs potentially can be uh, perfused artificially on a machine um, and tested out of, out of the donor. Very surreptitious <laughs> drink. <laughs> And then, you know, potentially used. And, and, and whereas you wouldn't put them in someone who's at home and managing their kidney, their liver or their kidney functionality okay, you would potentially take, you'd be, you know, you know, you'd take the chance of someone who's very sick. So, yeah, there's never a, a clear cut black and white. And it took me a while to kind of realise that because I'm, I'm quite a black and white kind of person. I like my boxes and to tick them off, you know. But. From a donor point of view, from the transplant point of view, mm. There must be in, in, in those people who suffer this this huge this awful loss. loss. That the, the, there must be some sort of amelioration in the fact that that, that their loss can 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 go on to, to help someone else survive. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's very well documented. I think I think it takes a while, but I do I do think it's very well documented. And I think. There's also a lot to be said for um, if siblings are left, if they know that, that the organs have been used, I think that's a huge, that can be a huge comfort as well. Um, and I think it's really interesting because we talk a lot about um, people on waiting lists and receiving organs and that kind of thing. But actually, you know, just as much as I want to try and, um, you know, we want to try and match organs to, to the relevant recipient, you know, I think the retrieval side of things, I'm always, I'm always sort of, on the side of the donor a little bit you know they have made this incredible decision and these families are you know in all honesty with my hand on my heart having i it, it's a, it, it's you know these families hand their loved ones over to us and and let's and, and the thing is is that you know in their minds unless they're medical you know they're handing over their loved one who is still breathing still heart beating and and but his brain's then dead, and and that's huge. That's a huge level of trust and a huge a huge gift, you know. Um, and so you want to try and 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 make sure that's used. And and actually, the the families I always feel I always feel worst for actually are the families who go through this process, and um, you know, because it adds time onto things. If the treatment is going to be withdrawn, then that's often delayed while they wait for the organs to be placed. Um, and then sometimes the, the, the organs can't be used. And I feel it's those families that have been through all that extra trauma, because it can be traumatic and you haven't had these sorts of discussions, and then they have to walk away. And I always feel they're the ones that, you know, when we used to go through retrieval, then we can't use the organs. I used to just really, my heart used to break for them because I just think they've come so far and, and they haven't really got anything. But I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, yeah, it's a funny, it's a weird world. Um, and, yeah. I used to come, so, so my, my sort of introduction to transplant was a, on um, cardiothoracic ITU, which is where I started in, in human nursing. I, because I was coming into it a bit later, I thought, you know, I'll dive in at the deep end and went yeah. straight into <laughs> cardiothoracic intensive care. And, and so I was looking after patients who had heart transplants and, and also looking after patients who were waiting for heart transplants and on, on kind of artificial devices, you know. Yeah. And, and the complexity of coming home and wishing that this patient would get a heart transplant mm. and then sitting on the sofa and thinking, I'm actually sitting here wishing for somebody young, fit, you know, mm. to have something dreadful happen so that my patient gets a heart and you just, you can't, you just have you, to you stop. Can't, and you can't square that circle, can you? No. You, you can't cannot start. square that circle at no. all. You, you qualify as a veterinary nurse. Yes. Okay. So, so what took you into veterinary nursing? 
gosh, do you know that's funny, isn't it? I um, so it was um, it was just it was just always there. It was just just always there, right from from the word go. And I, I was I think I was quite good at it. So I worked at a, I worked on a Saturday girl in a, in the local practice. All right. And an amazing an amazing practice. Um, and I, do you know even now I'm working with humans. The, the foundation that I got from that practice, um, I, I probably still use day to day. You know, I was in a meeting. Do you want to give them the name drop? Yeah, we can do. So it was Millhouse Veterinary Practice, Veterinary Hospital in Kings Lynn. So with David and Carol Clark. Okay. Uh, as they were at the time, and um, and I was their Saturday girl, and then went off to university, and came back and 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 wanted realised I wanted to do something practical so I, the, the pharmacology is fascinating but I, I'm not patient enough to spend five years of my life you know trying to figure out one one drug and um so then I and I I trained with them and and then realized that that I could I could do do it sort of do it and do it quite well mm-hmm. um and so then they yeah they trained me up and um and then I sort of set off um, with a literally with a bucket list of, of what I wanted to do, only one of which is still outstanding. Um, and um, yeah, no, you can't yeah. do that anything. What was that? So I've, I've, I well, once since I started lecturing, I wanted to lecture abroad. I've never done a, a lecture abroad. Okay. And I'm close. I'm, so I'm doing a I'm doing a US webinar net not next week, the week after. So wow. yeah, yeah. Um, no, just remember, everybody. You saw Helen first <laughs> on Veterinary Ramblings. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. so, <laughs> so, so you're doing this um, this webinar then? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's so, on. So care. Uh, well, it's on. It's on sort of care plans, and there's also a little bit of um, sort of change management and leadership and that sort of stuff so um i think you know in the states they're really trying to you know the, the vet techs some of the vet techs are really highly qualified yeah. um but they i think sometimes this is this maybe potentially a, a little element of task kind of a bit of task-based approach um and um so there's, there's the idea is to do a little bit of um you know kind of Getting that relationship going, getting veterinary nurses or techs as they are to take a bit more responsibility and look at things a little bit more holistically and that kind of stuff. This is this session, so yeah, that's the that's the plan. Okay, excellent. And when, when is that? Uh, so not next week, but the week after. And, and who can who can get onto that webinar? Who can, who can... Well, a- anybody. Um, I've, I've told, so I need to send some links out because yes, it can. It's going through. Um, Funny enough, it's going through. It's, it's a nice, it's a nice story. So it's the it's a meet cute, really. It's the woman who reviewed my the first draft of my book for mm. the publisher. Um, so she reviewed it and liked it, and then we kind of got in touch when I was allowed to know who she was, because of course it's all top secret at the beginning. Um, and um, and then we've kind of you know toed and froed and got a little network. We met one year at Congress, and um, yeah, it's been very nice. So, um, but um, yeah, it's an it's their vet tech week. Um, so, so yeah, they've, they've got this sort of series of lectures. So, yeah, so it's exciting. Great. So, so our, our listeners and viewers could uh, get onto the webinar as well, could they? Mm, they could. If I could tell them how to and where it was, then yes, they absolutely could. We will um, share. We will share those details with you. Um, is it available for for retro review type of? Thing? I think it will be. Yeah. Um, so okay. So backtracking, Helen. Um, so you started off in veterinary, working at yeah. Millhouse Vet. Yeah. So what on earth made you want to qualify as a human veterinary, as a human nurse? So, so a couple of things really. I think the the first thing was that I think as I got a bit older, I realised that I liked people um, just as much as, and sometimes more than the animals. I was more in, you know that. People are fascinated. Oh, it's nothing like people. I just they are like, happy. You no, like so, the owners. Yeah. <laughs> I know, That's the thing I realised. You get to like the bond, don't you? You get to you, you start off with the animals and you think actually what's really interesting is there wouldn't be an animal here if yeah. there wasn't a bond. So you had enough of puppy dogs. <laughs> Pretty much. 
I think it's one of those things, isn't it, where it sort of slowly came on, and it's, I suppose it's a little bit romantic, really. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a calling. It sort of came over me, really. That, and but equally, I think it, it would only be fair to say that there was, you know, I'm, I'm fairly sort of ambitious, and I, I wanted to kind of be in a role that I found very challenging. And I think, you know, this was ten years ago, really. I started. God, I just think, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, nearly 10 years ago, I started training as a human nurse. And actually, back 10 years ago, you know, right now, veterinary nursing in the UK in particular, I'm not so sure anywhere else really particularly, but in the UK, I know that, you know, we've got nurses who are running practices, nurses who are partners in practices, you know, we've got yeah. masters in, in veterinary nursing, there's nurses doing, they're doing PhDs, um, you know, we've got veterinary nursing directors in, in the corporates, that kind of thing. Um but actually, ten years ago, that career ladder was was you know not not necessarily there as 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 opening. And I wanted something that would give me um, those opportunities. Um, and also, yeah, I just think people are so interesting, you know. So when I was at, um, I used to work at Patworth for for a while, and when I was there, you know, we'd look after patients that had had pretty much exactly the same procedure, you know. Mm-hmm. So coronary artery bypass, practically perfectly the same vessels you know exactly and and yet the whole thing's completely different you know and that's that's the beauty of, of you know, the so, so physiology is the same the surgery is the same so therefore treatment yeah. should be the same isn't it isn't that, but it's not it's vastly different isn't it? but it's not even that's the point i suppose sort of is that it's not even the same when you've got two human beings is it because you could do the same surgery on two human beings and they will take different times to recover. A bit like you were saying earlier, you know, some of them will draw up the covers to their neck, get in their beds and they won't get out again. You know, I, I, brought, a guy in for, um, I brought a guy in for a kidney transplant uh, a few months ago. So I rang him up and I said, look, we might have a kidney for you this afternoon. Um, you know, we need to come to the hospital. And so we did that and that's fine. Now, this is a guy who is, who's, who's doing dialysis, but he's, he's working, you know, he's, he's working and he's, he's been doing some DIY in his house. He got to the hospital at midday. I walked down the ward. He's in his bed. I said, what are you doing in your bed? <laughs> he said, oh, well, you know, I'm here for a kidney transplant. I said, yeah, I know. I'm Helen. I spoke to you. I brought you in. You know, I gave you a call. Oh, yeah, yeah. I spoke on the bed. Do you really don't need to be in bed? You know, it would never occur to him in normal life to get into bed at midday in the afternoon, but because he's in a hospital, he gets into bed, you know. And so I think the physiology, you're right, there is lots and lots of similarities, but, but it, there, it's the detail, isn't it? And that's Is know. it the psychology rather than the physiology? Yeah, and that okay. all comes with it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, or, or it's, you know, it's, it's so you do the same procedure on two people, but actually, you know, one of them, one of them's diabetic or, or you know, one of them's an endurance runner, so they're super fit, so they're out the door three days later, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's, and it's, these, it's these subtleties and these complexities that I think are, are so fascinating. And, and in animal patients and human patients, and also I think they're, they're really the nurse's responsibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm a real... I agree, real, absolutely. I think... <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's no, it's no surprise that people are very really different, is it? Um, you know, our, our animal patients are very really different. I, I had... Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't... Two cruciate surgeries yesterday, one on a, an English bull terrier and one on a, a Labrador. And the Labrador woke up and couldn't understand why it couldn't quite run out. The English bull terrier woke up and spent an hour and a half making the weirdest noises like that. What have you done to me? <laughs> well, well, the Labrador wanted food, didn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah where's my dinner? Where's my grub? Yeah, yeah absolutely. But so what, what are your thoughts about doing transplants on, on dogs and cats? Um, well, I think I think the thing is is that you know, and we talk to talk to patients about this. So when I was working in cardiothoracic um, transplant, you know, I would I would talk to patients about the transplant process, and I think we can't you can't mollycoddle it. You can't kind of um, dress it up. You know, this is no miracle cure. You know, we swap your failing heart, liver, kidney, whatever it may be, for a, a good one. But, but you know, there's a huge, a huge set of side effects that come with the medication. Um, 
you know, the likelihood that, that these people will end up with some form of cancer is very high um, because of the immunosuppression. Um, you know, with the heart, the heart medication, they often end up with um, coronary artery disease. So the arteries, the, the vessels of the heart fur up, you know, as part of the general kind of process of chronic kind of rejection. Um, there's any number of ongoing side effects that can have a real impact on people's quality of life. And so I think, to, I think when it comes to animals, um, you know, part, part of the reason that, that, that I ended up with, with people is that I've always struggled. I worked in Australia for a while and, and in Australia, you know, you, these, you know, you've got these insects that have got enough poison to, you know, drop a horse. And, um, you know, dogs and cats were getting, getting bites from spiders, you know, brown snakes and cross spiders. They would go into a respiratory or tick-borne disease. They'd go into a respiratory failure. And, and seeing kind of Rottweilers on ventilators and that kind of thing has never really sat um, long-term because of, of medical. Personally, has never sat particularly well with me. Um, just because I think it's very difficult to justify that because of all the side effects of, of mm -hmm. that level of treatment with an animal. Um, I think it's the same with transplant. I can certainly see the ethical concerns because you're not you're not curing them. You're swapping one set of symptoms for for another, basically. When it comes to my experiences in human, and if that was replicated in animals, then I would question. I could I can see the ethical concerns. Yeah. I guess the big thing is we can we can chat to people. We can reason with them. We can um, give them some sort of uh, mentation support. And we can't do that with dogs and cats. Mm -hmm. and, and there's the question of how do we get some sort of um, agreement from the donor? Yeah. And I think, and, it, and it's, it's so easy to, I mean, we do, it, we do it at work. There's a lot of talk about surgical outcomes. But actually, and again, it's, it's very often the, the, the nurses, I mean, I work with some amazing surgeons who take this all on board, but it's very easy to talk about surgical outcomes so at, you know, one year, 80% of people are doing really well with their, you know, are alive, you know, five years, 90% are alive or whatever, you know, whatever those numbers may be. But actually, in my mind, fair enough, you know, 90% of them can be alive at, at five years time. But, you know, actually, if they're alive, but one of the, you know, the kidneys failed and they're back on dialysis, what, what, what have we achieved? What's their quality of life, you know? Um, well, quality of life is the, is the expression that springs to mind immediately. Mm, and it's very, very difficult to quantify um in in people and animals um mm. so it's yeah it's a, i can i can certainly see the, the complexity and the concerns around it mm. i mean when i tell people that they transplant kidneys in cats in america i mean some people just drop you know, just, what? You know? um and and you know it, it's amazing so people you know we have a huge diversity of people that work at the hospital i'm at the moment massive I think we've got like representatives from sort of like 80 countries or something and, and lots of cultures are not into having pets. So if they, you know, I strike up a conversation and, you know, begin to talk about my background and what you can, what your cats and dogs can have done. Some of these people are like, what? <laughs> I, I, one of my clients, years back when I used to work in, uh, in Wimbledon, one of my clients would have paid everything she had to save her pet rat. And uh, it, was a, it was a two and a half, three-year-old rat with, with cancer. And I had to say to her, "There's not only there's nothing I can do, but I've I've had a chat to, to friends of mine at the referral hospitals, and and there's nothing they can do. And in their opinion, there is nothing that that, that can be done. Mm -hmm. And um, she she was bereft. And you may think, well, this is a rat. It, it's it's not important. This this was her friend. This was her mm -hmm. her pet, her companion." given absolutely everything and, and I think the other thing I've learned over the years is that I remember a woman I worked at the RSPCA hospital in London in Putney I remember a woman who um, basically just couldn't couldn't sort of bring herself to, to have her dog put to sleep and um, she she sort of she was in the kennel with this dog you know and she was she was absolutely I can still remember that those, those real kind of guttural sobs you know and and very often, not not all the time, because sometimes it is it's it's companionship and family, isn't it? But actually, of course, when you dig a bit deeper, you know, this was her son's dog, and the son had been killed in a car crash a year earlier. 
you know and 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 so that's the thing isn't it this sort of human animal bond and um and that's where i think i will never ever lose and, it, and, and i almost feel like i only really got it when i left mm. and, you know i've said this I've, I've said this in other sort of sessions and lectures and things i've done but you know it was it, i remember it very distinctly it was the day when i was in itu and i, I walked in and i was a patient that i had and really really sick guy he was on on ecmo and um the the wife had put up photographs which is very common in an itu room you know photographs of family and Mm. the grandchildren's graduation and um and the chicken you know photo of the pet chicken was up you know next to the grandchildren and the wedding photo and there's the pet chicken you know and i just looked at this chicken and thought geez you know that to them is deemed as important as their grandson's graduation and other events and, and that's what they want this man to see when he wakes up is their pet chicken you know mm. um and, and i think it's yeah there is an irony that it was only really when i i left that i really realized how important it is i think we've been not well too long on chickens have we (laughs) just to fill you in there helen uh, julian and i have got a a shared bond there yes (laughs) on on one of my chickens um which was deemed terminal and um so it was decided that the uh that the decent thing would be done and uh so Julian did the decent thing, and it was suggested that just to make sure, um, I ring its neck. Except I don't have the experience of how much force to use on ringing a chicken's neck. It's all right. Daisy's head went into the clinical waste with the rest of the body. (laughs) Easily done. It was complete. Yeah, well, In, it was a well, job done. It was yeah. a job done. Yeah. Bless her. Bless her. She gave me a lot of very nice eggs, that particular girl. Aww. So, Aww. Yeah. Aww. so on, on, that, on that particular... On that bombshell. Note, <laughs> or eggshell. <laughs> or eggshell. <laughs> on, that, on that particular note, uh, Julian, have you... We've got... CP, Helen's delivered an amazing one minute of CPD that took the whole course of this evening off in a completely different direction to the way I thought it was going to go. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, Helen, we, we call it veterinary ramblings for a reason. You probably know this <laughs> now. But we, we, had, we had a rough idea of, of what we wanted to, to ask yeah. you. To, and I don't think we've covered any of it, have we? None of it. No, no. Oh, God, give me, give me one. What was one of them? Well, no, I, did. I, I covered one bit. I covered one bit because I, I wanted to explore the, although though that all got lost, because I wanted to explore the qualifying as veterinary moving to the human side. Yeah, and I wanted to cover One Health, which I know is very close to your heart. One Health? We haven't even touched on that. Well, we, we have, though, have. haven't we? That's we sort of have. We have. We haven't labelled it as no. One Health. Have we? No. And, and, and to listeners and, and, and viewers, what One Health is the idea that actually, as, as, as Mike suggested and Helen corroborated, our physiology is very much the same as, as a dog's, as a cat's. Quite different from a goldfish, but you know, we, have, we have similar physiologies and we can learn a lot from combining the experiences and the evidence of human medicine and veterinary medicine the idea of one health is to actually combine that uh, that knowledge to propel both um uh, academies of, of health if you like forward both both ideals of of science and of medicine forward i think it goes further than that though though julian because mm-hmm. the whole one health is acknowledging the role that each part whether at classified as animal or, or human plays in the health and welfare of each other so mm. yes there's, there's, there's the science the, the thing the symbiosis between it's, uh, it's between... acknowledging the bond the yes. human bond as well I think yeah. I think and then a step from that is to actually incorporate the environment in that as well so as a as a sort of one health triangle really so you, you bring in the you know the environmental factors as well as the in the sort of the, the medicine and the animal. I sit on the um well actually no I chair now. 
Blimey, the I've just taken over from from the great Simon Doherty, who's who was chair of the um, One Health, the UK One Health Coordination Group, which was set up as a result of BBA's uh, Vet Futures. And oh, really? I've just just taken on the chair, which is very very exciting, and very wow. very privileged to be asked to do that. And 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 we you didn't this cover amazing... that in the introduction, Julian. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't well, know. I didn't know. Um, and this incredible group of people sort of twice a year sit in a room or on a computer as we do now. And, 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 you know, so we've got people who come from the National Trust, the Wildlife Trust, dentists, um, the, the medics come, the, the nurses. So we have someone from the, the RCN, from the Royal College of Nursing, and I'm, I'm sort of BDNA side and, and a bit of RCN as well. Um, and, you know, these things that, that, that these ideas and these sort of collaborations that happen are just absolutely amazing, you know, really, really really fascinating um, well, and, and we're, we're living aren't we in a, in a one health environment you know covid yeah. is a demonstration of, of of one health yeah um, so, yeah wow amazing wow if, if 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 ever i can be of any help to that with my with my wacky shirts or whatever right i'd be more happy <laughs> wheel you in well do wheel me in do wheel me in but however, I, I do have a CPD certificate for tonight. Oh, fantastic! Let's see the CPD certificate tonight. So, has it got uh, the permanent CPD on this? It has. So this requires a bit of explanation. It says, okay. uh, it says "Veterinary Ramblings does it again." Well, of course, <laughs> this we certifies every week. Veterinary <laughs> Ramblings delivering every single week, <laughs> innovative and educational content with a hint of humour and more and more. <laughs> This certifies that Helen Ballantyne has given us one full hour of CPD compressed into one minute. <laughs> and it says, how good is that? Yeah. And it's signed me and him. Yeah. And now look, see what I've done is try and, try and encompass Helen into this. And, and what I, if, if you don't mind me sort of putting in an old Roman lavatory. It's, it's not. It's not meant. That's not. They, 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 they don't read too much into that. What, what is saying that actually you've you've had an evolution of, of your life from from you know some mainly old technology, brand new technology. There's there's one of uh, uh, what's that? that that's uh, that's an ultrasound. Uh, that's that that is actually a um, an ultrasound that I did to determine whether. I should go ahead and do a caesarean. Had you been drinking when you made this certificate? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So the the, the, the pub was in fetal distress. I just, I just I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about the lavatory, Helen. I do apologise. <laughs> but that, that's, this is this is technologically advanced for the age. This was the first Roman lavatory in England. Have you come across the word tenuous, Julian? <laughs> yes, I, I love on. it. I love it. I, I'm going to take that. Is that you think that I'm? Um, advanced for the for the age. That's good. I like that. <laughs> and that's exactly it. I think you're. You're being very generous, Helen. No, that's exactly the point. Because actually, Helen is pushing things forward. She's pushing technology forward in the in the evolution of veterinary nurses. And what's your use of the word tenuous? After I ask you to, to tell me what that is. Yeah. When once again you got into. What are they? Is, is that a sep or is that? Oh, one it's of mushrooms. The, no, it might be a sulfur cap. Killer mushrooms. There you see. Now, this is to show that actually we need to look deeper than the superficial view because what those are, are potatoes. And the <laughs> spiralizer for my birthday, if you put a potato in the spiralizer and turn it a few times, the potato's shaved off, and all we get left is those things that look a bit like mushrooms. No, no, you are clearly you are clearly showing everybody the picture of a mushroom. The yeah, question is, what sort of mushroom? It's not. They are potatoes that have been shaved off. Yeah, right. Well, well what yeah. is this one in the corner? Is this a worm? No, ah, no, you see, this is a slow worm. And although a bit of it's been cut off by the printer, which wasn't working very well, what it's to show is we live in a an era of infinite change and so there's the infinity this is a slow worm on my fingers it's an like pointing towards technological advancement and and look there you go you've done it in a very comforting way so here's my cat sitting 
bean bag, <laughs> folded blanket, on another folded blanket. I love this. Right, so I want a copy of this, but I need you to write on the back your I'll, I'll write a full explanation. But I think you'd agree that that is probably the most tenuous, and I think you used the word very wisely there, like the most, most tenuous set of photos I've ever on any. That's brilliant. You, you, are, you are this close, this close, millimetres or milliseconds away from being stuck in the waiting room. <laughs> I thought as much. Bloody hell. My God. But he'd never do it because he knows I'm right on this. He knows (laughs) actually me doing this amazing CPD certificate. I'm completely immune to being put in the waiting room because he knows I'm right. (laughs) I know when something's tenuous or not. Well, well, we'll see whether the RCVS accept this. As for all of our viewers and listeners, we'll be posting that on our Facebook page, Veterinary Ramblings on Facebook. For you to download and present that one to the RCVS at your peril. It will be valid, provided you you've complied with their regulation. Uh, of course, you know, we've got to we've got to reflect on it. We have to reflect, and, yeah. and I'm happy to reflect on on Helen's contribution this evening because I think it's particularly valid. Whether your CPD certificate actually represents that is a whole different ballgame. Don't, don't reflect on that. I had a bit to drink. Don't reflect on that. But don't. let's let's. Would, would Helen? Would you join us for a moment to reflect, particularly on your spectacular fifty-eight second, one minute CPD? Short <laughs> changes for two seconds. Never so, mind. So please, please join us in a moment's reflection on the CPD this evening. You're not taking this very seriously, Helen. Reflect. Good reflection. Yeah. Stop giggling. We got the giggles last week, didn't we, Mike? <laughs> Did we? <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, I'm, I'm reflected. That's good. Um, That's good. Yeah, we've reflected on that. That's excellent. So, so there we go. So, so it's, it's the time of the evening, everybody, where, of course, Julian is going to tell us a joke. I'll bring the mood down. I'll tell a joke. Uh-huh. And, and and as always, I had a joke lined up and then things moved on and I thought, well, let's do another one. So I've got a joke about chickens. Oh, you can't um, do that to me. Oh, yeah. So this is, in fact, this is a joke about Mike because a few years back, Mike was driving up north and uh, he'd been driving for a long, long time. He was on the, a, uh, the M1, just past the, the Angel of the North, and he was getting a bit bleary-eyed. And he thought, That's do I need the to... A1. The yeah, the even I that. The A1. The A1. He thought, you know, a bit do I need to go to Barnard Castle to check my eyesight? He thought, no, no, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll plug on. Not much longer till I get to, to my, my B&B for the night. And suddenly, in his rearview mirror, he saw this, this thing, just a bit like Roadrunner, coming up in his rearview mirror. And it's, yeah. Oh, so he thought, well, that was a chicken. He looked down at his speedo. He was doing 70. No more than that, because, you know, Institute of Advanced Drivers, he would never speed. He was doing exactly 70. And he thought, this chicken has just overtaken me, burning rubber, down, down, he won't. He looks at it, he looks at it in the distance, and it hoiks off left somewhere. He thinks, I'm going to catch it up, see what's, what's going on. So he, he, he puts his foot down, still at 70, never above it. And, and he, he turns left into this little drive, and it turns out to be a farmyard. And there's all these chickens going, yum, 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 really, really quickly. He thinks, I've no idea what's going on here. So he, he knocks on the on the door. This farmer comes out and says, uh, right, what are you doing? He says, sorry to bother you, but I'm driving up the, the, the A1, I thought it was the M1, but apparently it's the A1. And um, I've just, just, seen, just seen a chicken overtake me and he came into this, this farmyard now there's loads of them running around he said, oh yeah yeah they're, they're mine he said your chickens yeah i've bred them specially why are they so fast he said well you see the ones actually that are just pecking food and slow you can see count the legs i'm like there's, there's, there's three legs see that's right you've got three legs because i like a leg 
my wife likes a leg, our daughter likes a leg, so I'll bred these chickens with three legs and use CRISPR technology. He said, that's amazing. He said, what do they taste like? He said, no, the fuckers are too fast, never caught one. <laughs> oh, Junit, that is actually a funny joke for a change. Two weeks running, because I think last week wow. was one. Hey, there we go. I can't remember last week, because I think I had too much gin. <laughs> I think I've got last <laughs> week. Last week was on, on that note, on yeah. that fabulous note, could I say, Helen Ballantyne, thank you so much for joining us on Veterinary Ramblings. I'll raise your glass to you. You can raise your cup of tea or whatever it is. Right here. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you so If you like the show, click like, follow us, share, send it to your friends. I mean, there's some cracking stuff in, in, in this episode in particular. And uh, may your dog go with you. May your dog go with you. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Helen. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And a great evening. I'm going to have to call it a night, gents. Of course you are. Helen, thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. I'll come back. If you ever get a gap, let me know and we'll come Brilliant. back and do some more. <laughs> yeah? You'd be, you'd be very, very welcome. I mean, it's, oh, it's thank fa- you. Yeah, it's I, I know I've only just met you, but it's been a fabulous evening and I, I felt we've really got an insight into, into you and your life. Lovely. Good. Good. Thank you. What do I need to do now? Do I need to just... Shall I just press the red button? Press you you press you press exit and, and, and go and uh, I'll speak you to you. Yes. Take care, Helen. Take care. Bye. Good night, Bye. Helen. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Isn't she amazing? That was lovely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was super.